your city Gonna play our guitars and sing you a country song We'll all be flying higher than a jetliner And if you want a little bang in your yin-yang, come along After just five months, the Biden administration is already a complete and total catastrophe yeah I mean, you could say joe biden is the president he's our leader and you you'd be correct on paper but i mean everybody knows he's out of his mind employers can't find workers i said yeah pay them more so i would argue that 50 republican senators is already a built-in kind of filibuster-esque firewall freedom is back in style welcome to the revolution yeah we're coming information on breaking news and more bold inspired solutions for america hello america this is the sean hannity show and as all of you hannity fans have instantly detected i am not sean hannity i am jeffrey lord of the jeffreylord.com website and my podcast the word of the lord as well as author of Swamp Wars, Donald Trump and the New American Populism. I'm also a contributing editor of the American Spectator, and yes, I scribble a media column for the Media Research Center's Newsbuster site. I'm filling, oh, and not, let me not leave this out, I am also a former White House political director, associate political director for someone named Ronald Reagan. I am filling in today for Sean while he has been down there on the Texas border with former President Trump and Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Did you see Sean's TV show last night? Wow. Utterly amazing. You know, I hope Vice President Harris was watching to see what she should have seen and should have been doing, but don't bet the ranch on that. So, as Sean would say, welcome to this extravaganza. We have a lot, and I do mean a lot, to talk about today. So let's start off with a discussion of, yes, President Joe Biden's latest gaffe. Did you see this one? Here's the headline. I'll read to you from the New York Post. Senator Maxine Waters, question mark. Biden creates confusion with offhand remark about primary run. Listen to what she said. Jason, hit it. Now SRES 15, Speaker Pelosi, Maxine Walters, and Chewy Garcia. Yeah, we're here. Oh, <laughs> hey, Chewy, how are you, man? How are you? Great to see you. Senator, I hope. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? I'm not. All right. She's a bigger journalist, too. <laughs> yes, Joe Biden did it again. Was he really thinking Congresswoman Maxine Waters was a senator? Or was he, in fact, urging the 82-year-old Congresswoman Waters to run a primary challenge on one of California's two incumbent Democratic senators? You know, in truth, I don't think Joe himself knows. You have often heard Sean talk about the president's cognitive problems. And as you have doubtless heard, he isn't the only one. Recently, 14 members of Congress, led by Texas Congressman Ronnie Jackson, sent a letter to President Biden asking him to take a cognitive test. Now, Congressman Jackson is no ordinary congressman. A retired Navy Rear Admiral, Jackson is also Dr. Ronnie Jackson, who served Presidents Bush, Obama, and Trump in the White House Medical Unit, the last two presidents, as the personal physician to the president. 
In their June 17th letter to the president, Jackson and his Dr. Jackson and his colleagues pull no punches. The very first sentence reads directly to the president, quote, we write to you today to express our concern with your current cognitive state, unquote. After noting that President Trump took a test measuring his cognitive state and passed with flying colors, then going on to explain the test itself, the letter from these 14 congressmen goes on to say, quote, Unfortunately, your mental decline and forgetfulness have become more apparent over the past 18 months. In March, you forgot the name of the Pentagon, the Department of Defense, and the Defense Secretary, though you said Secretary Austin just a few moments prior. The official White House transcript reads, quote, and I want to thank Sec, the former general, I keep calling him General, my, the guy who runs that outfit over there, unquote. Additionally, at the end of February, you visited Houston to survey the winter storm damage, where you misidentified the time of day and Senator John Cornyn's title, and you mispronounced Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee's first name and Congresswoman Lizzie, Lizzie Fletcher's maiden name of Penil. Then, apparently forgetting the purpose of your visit, you question, what am I doing here? On the letter from Congressman Jackson and his colleagues, and as it goes, it details in stark, almost blistering fashion, one example after another of presidential verbal missteps, ranging from misidentifying the vice presidential plane as Air Force One, it is, of course, Air Force Two, saying that his mother died in 2013 when it was 2010, and starting to quote the Declaration of Independence by saying, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women are created by the you know, you know, the thing. The letter closes by agreeing with a pre-Biden presidency proposal by liberal Democrat Congressman Jamie Raskin to establish an independent commission, quote, that could examine a president's fitness for office and determine whether the president is mentally or physically unable to discharge the powers and the duties of the office, unquote. Now, you know, this isn't funny. It isn't a joke. It's deadly, deadly serious business. You can believe that if Americans are talking about this, our adversaries are talking about this and dangerously running their strategies based on what they see of Joe Biden's cognitive problems. I don't know if you've seen in the last 24 hours or so, President Xi Jinping of China is more or less warning the United States not to even think of interfering in behalf of Taiwan. Um, why would somebody feel free to make a threat to the president of the United States like that? You know, every human being is unique. Some people can be 100 years old and clear as a bell. Others can start to lose their cognitive abilities much earlier. So let me, to, to, to help here, let me get personal for a moment. My parents, both of them, my dad had Alzheimer's, my mother had dementia. They're both gone now. But let me just tell you about my personal path and learning about this. I came home to take care of my dad, and one of the reasons, before I had arrived home, I was still living in Washington, D.C., and it was October of 2004. It was the um, John Kerry, George W. Bush presidential campaign. And my dad, who was, re was really into politics, he had been in Massachusetts politics, he had held Calvin Coolidge's seat on the Northampton City Council, he had been a Republican city committee chairman. Um, he, he was very involved. He knew, as a matter of fact, uh, then-Senator John F. Kennedy. 
And so he followed it all the time. And, of course, he took great delight that I had followed in his footsteps. And uh, he got to come to the White House with my mother and meet President Reagan. He loved politics. He knew it up and down. So this, as I say, is October of 2004. And I'm watching television with Dad. And there is Senator Kerry campaigning. Nothing out of the ordinary there. And he's talking about terrorism. My father turns to me, looking somewhat baffled, and says, what does he mean about terrorism? Well, I didn't catch the clue. I, I just said, oh, you know, Dad, 9-11. Well, he looked utterly baffled. I mean, this is three years after 9-11, right? He looked utterly baffled. And I said, Dad, you know, 9-11. Remember 9-11? Slowly he shook his head. I said, Dad, you know, the terrorist attack where they knocked down the buildings in New York City and, and attacked Washington and we had a plane crash in Pennsylvania? No. He knew none of it. Well, that, needless to say, was my first uh, inkling. He was then uh, well into his 80s uh, that we were going to have a problem on our hands. And I came home and uh, was with him every day. And I can only tell you uh, how disheartening it is and hard to watch someone you love slowly disintegrate in front of your eyes. And I'm sure that there are people out there listening to this show who are going through this experience. It's very difficult to go through. I would try and uh, spend a lot of time to get him out of the house and, and be active. And I would take him to get the morning papers, which had been his normal morning routine before. And we'd be in the car and we'd be driving along and I'd say, Dad, in my brightest voice, what's my name? And he would say, Jerry. And I'd say, no, Dad, no, Dad. Try again. Jimmy. No, no. I'd say, okay, Dad, it begins with J. And I'd start J-E, and suddenly the light would go on, and he'd go, F-F, Jeff. I'd say, yes, Dad, yes, congratulations, that's it. But things, of course, slowly, slowly, in a gradual descent, got worse. And eventually, of course, he had absolutely no idea who I was. He had no idea where he was. And then uh, when he, after he passed away, I took care of my mom, and she had uh, dementia. Um, and again, it was a gradual descent. She was well into her 90s when this happened, but she began not to know where she was. She began not to know who I was, etc. So I have to tell you here, knowing all of this, as I learned personally, up close and personal, in truth— I feel sad for Joe Biden. This is sad. Uh, I, I just have to wonder what the Biden family is thinking through all of this. But, I mean, having learned about this firsthand and twice over, I'm very concerned about the country. Let's talk history for a moment. Not many Americans are aware of the Woodrow Wilson tale. Woodrow Wilson was president of the United States, a Democrat, uh, during World War I. And uh, in 19... Uh, 19, after World War I had been won by the United States and its allies, um, Woodrow Wilson became the first president to leave the country. He went to Paris and negotiated the Treaty of Versailles that ended World War I. He came back. It included the League of Nations. And he came back. Republicans controlled the U.S. Senate. The idea of giving up any uh, U.S. authority to an international group was not well thought of. It, there was a political problem. So President Wilson decided to set out on a cross-country train trip to campaign for the League of Nations. 
They got to somewhere in Colorado, and he wasn't feeling well. So they stopped the train, like in a farmer's field or something, walked him around outside to clear his head, got him back on the train, and he was headed to a rally the next morning in Kansas or somewhere. Uh, He gets up early in the morning to get ready for this. His wife takes one look at him and says, no, we're not doing this. They send his private secretary, a man named Joe Tumulty, who was a Wilson loyalist, out to say the president's suffering from exhaustion, and we're going to go back to Washington. They get back to Washington eventually, and three days after they're back, Mrs. Wilson goes into the White House residential bathroom and finds the president on the floor, unconscious, bleeding from the head. She quickly gets the doctor, Dr. Kerry Grayson, another Wilson loyalist. They get him into bed, realize that President Wilson has had a stroke. What to do? It's discussed with the cabinet, who, of course, wanted to inform the vice president, but they wanted a formal statement saying that the president was disabled. The private secretary and Dr. Grayson refused to supply such a statement. They said, in essence, that Wilson was their friend, their mentor, and there was no way on God's green earth that they were going to sign off on a statement about disability of the president. So what happened? What happened was that the doctor said to Mrs. Wilson, he can't make any decisions. All that's going to do when he's confronted with a decision to make is increase his his problems and his stress. So you have to do it. So yes, indeed, unbeknownst to all kinds of people, not to mention most Americans, Mrs. Woodrow Wilson, a.k.a. Edith Bolingalt Wilson, ran the country. Had, in fact, Hillary Clinton been elected, in reality, she would not have been the first president, uh, woman president. We've already had one. And my point is, what, thinking of that episode in American history, what is really going on in the Biden White House right this minute? He is shepherded around. He's watched. He frequently doesn't know where he is, all of this kind of thing. Who is really making the decisions? Is it Vice President Harris? Frankly, we've seen stories about tension between the Biden and Harris camps, and I wonder. I mean, presidents and vice presidents don't always get along. So uh, I have to say, who's do, who's running the show? Is it the chief of staff, Ron Klain? Is it uh, Jill Biden in the, in the form of Mrs. Wilson? But I think that the American media would be uh, better positioned if they started doing some serious investigation work on this. So this is Jeff Lord sitting in for Sean Hannity, and we will be right back after this commercial break. At 9 p.m., do you know where your president is? I don't know. Yep, he's sound asleep in his bed with not a care in the world. Must be nice, Joe. The rest of us will keep working. You're on the Sean Hannity Show. Hello again, this is Jeffrey Lord in for our friend Sean Hannity. I am the Jeffrey Lord of the JeffreyLord.com website and the at real Jeffrey Lord Twitter and Jeffrey Lord on Facebook and of course the podcast The Word of the Lord. So uh, we're going to move on from Joe Biden's situation. We're going to have a little conversation about election integrity with our next guest who will be here shortly. Um, that is attorney Bruce Marks. And 
let me just sort of set the stage here. Um, I've known Bruce since we both worked for Pennsylvania's United States senators many years ago. He was a candidate uh, in a special state Senate election in Philadelphia in 1994. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and the election system in Pennsylvania. We've got so many people saying that to question the election uh, system in Pennsylvania or elsewhere is the big lie. And uh, we've got plenty of documentation here, and we'll start out with Bruce in a few minutes um, to sort of set the stage for what is really going on and what really is the history in our own state of Pennsylvania about this. Uh, this is very bad because we're going to come up to the 19 uh, to the 2022 elections and the 2024 elections. Nobody wants to go through this again. We want to have the absolute confidence that when you go to the polls and you vote, your vote is counted. Uh, all the legal folks are, vo- are voting right and out we- and uh, that we've got a good, solid system. So that's what we're all about. And that will be the next segment of The Sean Hannity Show with myself, Jeffrey Lord. Thank you. Let me just say, you know, we're thrilled to have you here. It is so awesome to have you hosting the show. And I just want to tell one funny story. For any of you guys who haven't heard Jeffrey's podcast, the word of the Lord, the name alone is hilarious, <laughs> but he is fantastic. So you got to check out the word of the Lord. He's far too humble. Swamp Wars. I mean, the, the guy's just a savant, but he's, he's going to have an awesome interview next. stops working for the good of the country. Sean Hannity with behind-the-scenes information on today's breaking news. Hannity is on right now. This is Jeffrey Lord in for our friend Sean Hannity, and he indeed never stops working for the good of the country. He was down there at the Texas border. Would that the vice president of the United States could be more like Sean Hannity. Ah, well, and if you heard a familiar voice uh, in the last segment, that would be the great Linda McLaughlin. Are you there, Linda? (laughs) I'm still here. I'm not as good as the word of the Lord, but I'm still here. (laughs) You know, I do my best. I I don't understand it. Sean says all these things about you. I just think you're, you know, just lovely, wonderful. You know, it's it's a funny thing. I have to reserve all of that meanness for him because, you know, he... (laughs) He likes to get beat up in his dojo every day, so I just keep it up through radio and let him do a good show and just keep kicking him. He loves it. But you, you know, I take my CBD goals early. I'm nice and relaxed. I'm good. Exactly. Exactly. Well, our next guest is attorney Brooks, uh, Brooks, Bruce Marks from Pennsylvania. Uh, Bruce, are you there with me? Yes, Jeff. Hello. Nice to hear you. Good to hear you. Well, Bruce, I wanted to have you on because uh, so much is being made uh, of election integrity, et cetera. And you had a particular, uh, very searing, I'm sure, experience with this. So I want to start out just by reading uh, a couple paragraphs from a New York Times story from 1994 when you were the Republican nominee for the Pennsylvania State Senate in a special state Senate election. 
And I will let you tell the tale. I just want to set the table with this. So this is from the New York Times. Saying Philadelphia's election system had collapsed under, quote, a massive scheme, unquote, by Democrats to steal a state Senate election in November, a federal judge today took this rare step of invalidating the vote and ordered the seat be filled by the Republican candidate. Judge Clarence C. Newcomer of the Federal District Court in Philadelphia ruled that the Democratic campaign of William G. Stinson had stolen the election from Bruce S. Marks in North Philadelphia's 2nd Senatorial District through an elaborate fraud in which hundreds of residents, hundreds, were encouraged to vote by absentee ballot even though they had no legal reason, like a physical disability or a scheduled trip outside the city to do so, unquote. So, Bruce, my old friend... <laughs> Tell us the tale. What was this like? I mean, this business that uh, Pennsylvania is pristine and, and has plenty of election integrity and nothing can go amiss. You tell us what your experience was. Well, Jeff, you know, we have a saying in Philadelphia, and I was involved in Philadelphia politics for a long time. The Democrats don't, uh, don't cheat in every election. They only cheat when they have to. <laughs> and, they, and they had to cheat my election. I was a strong candidate against running a cog of the machine, Stinson. And when it looked like I would win my election, which was important, because if I won, the Republicans controlled the Senate, uh, the Democrats controlled the House, and the governor was a Democrat at the time, too, then we would have a voice at the table. And so they came up with this a scheme uh, to steal the election through massive absentee ballot fraud uh, and other fraud, too. And what they did is they targeted the Latino voters in my district, and they had people go door to door, the term they used was the wave of method they vote tar. There's a new way of voting. And they told these people that if they signed papers, uh, they could vote uh, uh, by uh, absentee ballot, even though they were not qualified. And they also told people in order to get them to sign absentee ballot applications that they were going to re- win refrigerators and get free cable TV. <laughs> and so the Latinos, uh, many of whom who didn't really speak English, and as it turned out, over a thousand who weren't even registered voters, who knows if they were citizens, signed these applications. The Stinson people and the Democratic machine paid a dollar per application. They took the applications to the city commissioner's office. And this is important because they were the ones responsible for the integrity of the election, and they were part and parcel of the fraud. They took these applications and they gave the absentee ballots to the committee people and Stinson's campaign workers. Absolutely illegal in Pennsylvania because you could only give the ballots to the voter themselves if they were there in person, or to mail them. And the committee people and the Stinson people took the ballots around the corner. I'm not making this up. They forged signatures, they voted people, and they turned them in. And there were at least uh, 1,300 illegal absentee ballots, either because signatures were forged or the, the voters were not allowed to vote by absentee. And we only uncovered this just before the election. I went to state court. I think you may remember this. I couldn't get a state court judge who hadn't been a former Democrat ward leader. <laughs> For your audience, our, 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 our judges are elected in Pennsylvania, and they handpicked the judges who heard my case. And ultimately, we were able to get to the federal court on a civil rights claim because it violates you know, the neutrality of the government, equal protection, and due process. If the commissioners themselves, the very people who are supposed to administer the election, are cheating. And they did. They cheated by uh, accepting the applications that they knew had uh, didn't have uh, the, the right to vote. People were saying that they were going to be out of out of Philadelphia on business, and their and, and their employment was unemployed. 
I mean, uh. figure that, right? And we went to the judge, we went to court, and we proved our case. Uh, we were able to get discovery. We brought voters in. Uh, we had voters who realized that they had been cheated. They became what we called the Latino plaintiffs. They were absolutely part of our case. Uh, we had hearings, and the judge concluded that the Democrats had stole the election. I had won the, uh, the election on the machines. So there was absolutely, you know, a, uh, a, uh, a way to determine that I was the winner. Uh, I had won the machine vote by roughly 560. And so when you threw out the illegal votes, I became the winner. The judge yanked my opponent out of office and put me in. And it's one of the most significant election cases, Marxy fraud. So, you know, when folks say that there's not election fraud in America or there's not election fraud in Philadelphia, well, Bruce Marx is still a living example of that. Well, that's right. That's right. And I remembered this uh, vividly. And, I, you know, recently I was going through uh, the memoirs of your old boss uh, and my friend, uh, the late Senator Arlen Specter. Who, of course, for those who are not unfamiliar, won his first race in Philadelphia as district attorney in 1965. And he has a, uh, a reference in his memoirs about how the habit, something about how the habit in Philadelphia is to play with the, vote, with the voting machines. And I'm thinking, good grief, this was going on in 1965, and th- almost 30 years later, this is going on with you. And uh, as I've done my research over some years in written about this. Uh, This has moved forward in time. In 2008, I personally attended a press conference in the state capitol with a retired Pennsylvania Supreme Court justice uh, and the district attorney of Dauphin County, which is Harrisburg, and the Pennsylvania Republican chairman. This was uh, October of 2008 in the middle of the Obama-John McCain campaign. And I'll just read you a little bit from what the what was said at this press conference. Quote, between March 23rd and October 1st, various groups, including ACORN, submitted over 252,595 registrations to the Philadelphia County Election Board, with 57,435 rejected for faulty information. Most of these registrations were submitted by ACORN and rejected due to fake Social Security numbers, incorrect dates of birth, clearly fraudulent signatures or addresses that do not exist, and duplicate registrations. In one case, a man was registered to vote more than... (laughs) more than 15 times uh, since the primary election, unquote. And then they go through county by county what this was like. And then last year, <laughs> I mean, this just uh, just drives me crazy. Last year, in May of 2020, uh, here was a headline in a release from the United States Department of Justice, and uh, it involved an investigation by the United States attorney from uh, the Eastern District of Pennsylvania, and I'll just read you the headline and the, a little bit from the from what their statement was. Former Philadelphia judge of elections convicted of conspiring to vi- violate civil rights and bribery. And it says, a former judge of elections has been convicted, and this is in Philadelphia, has been convicted for his role in accepting bribes to cast fraudulent ballots and certifying false voting results during the 2014, 2015, and 2016 primary elections in Philadelphia. During his plea hearing, uh, the judge of elections admitted that while serving as an elected municipal judge of elections, he accepted bribes in the form of money and other things of value in exchange for adding vote ballots to increase the vote totals for certain candidates on the voting machines. And what he did, Bruce, as later accounts showed, 
he would stand by the voting machine, and when people weren't looking, he's reaching inside going, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Well, so that was the beginning. This well, was you, Jeff, Jeff, we have a term for that, by the way. I'll, I'll share that with your nationwide audience. Yeah. It's called, it's called ringing him up. <laughs> the it's called ringing him up. As you know, when we used to have the, you know, the old voting machines with the curtains, when you closed the curtain, the bell rang, and then when you opened it, it rang again. And so there's a lot of music that was made in South Philadelphia uh, ringing in these votes. Well, the kicker for me, about two months later in July, the same U.S. attorney came back, and the headline was U.S. Attorney William F. McSwain announces election fraud charges against former U.S. congressman and Philadelphia political operative. And it says, United States Attorney William M. McSwain announced today that former U.S. Congressman Michael Ozzie Myers, 77, of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, has been charged by indictment with multiple counts, including conspiring to violate voting rights by fraudulently stuffing the ballot boxes for specific Democratic candidates in the 2014, 15, and 16 Pennsylvania primary elections, bribery of an election official, falsification of records, voting more than once in federal elections, and obstruction of justice. Uh, One of the things that uh, may ring a bell with uh, Sean's audience here is the name Michael Ozzie Myers. He was uh, a congressman from Philadelphia. He was convicted in the Abscam scandal and, yes, served time in the federal pen. And then he was out and remade himself uh, into a uh, political consultant and set about paying these people to, uh, uh, you know, rig elections. The question... Jeff, we have another segment in Philadelphia. I don't know if you were going to say it. But it was what Mr. Myers was was most famous for. Do you recall that? I'm not sure. Refresh. I'm not sure what I can say on Sean's program, but I'll <laughs> paraphrase it. <laughs> Money talks. In oh BS yes, walks. yes, I do remember. Money talks and BS walks. Right, right. I do remember that he was and remains quite the character, and uh, he apparently is going to be shipped back to his old stomping grounds in a federal penitentiary somewhere, uh, at least as I, I, re- I read this uh, release from the Justice Department from from last year. Um, Bruce, what do you think we can possibly do to, to correct this kind of nonsense, to, to have uh, an election that everybody can feel was on the up and up in Pennsylvania? Well, you're, Jeff, uh, uh, it's, Jeff, it's a great question, and, you know, uh, you and I were at a wonderful conf- uh, conference a couple of weeks ago, the, the Pennsylvania Leadership Conference, where you were the MC. Actually, right. I just sat at the table, and we heard uh, Representative Seth Grove uh, and others talk about election reform in Pennsylvania. And the Pennsylvania House and the Pennsylvania Senate have both have passed a significant election reform bill. It's, it's uh, historic. Uh, the The goal is to uh, encourage voter participation. And to uh, and to decrease uh, the opportunities for misconduct, and we'd like to see uh, those of us in Pennsylvania who believe in election integrity, we'd like to see that enacted. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, Governor Wolf, I believe, uh, just vetoed it the other day. Exactly. Um, well, th- thank you, thank you, Bruce. I got to end here. We got to go into a break. But I just want to say one of the things they object to, Governor Wolf objects to, is voter ID. But you've got to have a, a driver's license to get into the state capitol. What do you think of that? <laughs> Not to mention buy booze. <laughs> All right, my friend Bruce Marks, thank you very much for taking your time. And we will be right back with the Sean Hannity Show after this break. Firing torpedoes of truth at a wall of lies. 
This is the Sean Hannity Show. This is Jeffrey Lord of thejeffreylord.com and the word of the Lord. And I am sitting in for our friend Sean Hannity today. And I want to stick with it for the next couple minutes here with our uh, friend Linda McLaughlin. Linda, as many of you know, uh, like myself, lives in Pennsylvania. So, Linda, what do you think here? I mean, I'm sure you remember as vividly as I do the, uh, and this was driving me crazy, the live television shots of that uh, place in that arena in Philadelphia. And there were the vote counters, uh, all separated from the people who were supposed to be observing them. They were kept, what, 20 feet back or at a minimum six it feet back? It was horrible. I mean, yeah, to, it was to, terrible. To, to think that anybody can read a ballot from six feet away was insanity. And yet and that, they were doing this in broad daylight and getting yes. away with it. And that was the whole thing is that you're a poll watcher. You have a pass. You go through all this training and you're allowed to go and to make sure and observe and see that all of these things are being handled properly. And it's kind of strange because it was happening all over the country. We were getting calls and pictures of people that were actual poll watchers. They're like, I've been doing this for 20 years. This has never happened to me. And they were happening in these very important states like Pennsylvania, like Arizona, like what we saw in Georgia. And Everybody kept saying the same thing. I arrived, I got here. First, they didn't even want to let me in. And I thought to myself, what is going on? Like, election integrity helps everybody. It's not a, it's a bipartisan issue. You know, we should all be in on this and want it to be as upfront and as honest as possible. And then you talk to Bruce, and I'm like, you're referencing 1994. Right. Like, my God, how long has this been going on? Right. I mean, in truth, Linda, I once took a look. I found my first evidence of this in uh, 1828. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So we've, we've been practicing. We've been practicing yes, a long yes, time. Yes, uh, people are pretty polished. All well, right. Hopefully in your next segment, you're not, you have a gubernatorial candidate up next, I do. Right? My friend Charlie Giroux, who's running for governor of Pennsylvania, and maybe we can talk to him a little bit about this as well. So this is Jeffrey Lord in for Sean Hannity, and we will be seeing you in a, just a minute after this break. administration is already a complete and total catastrophe. Yeah. I mean, you could say Joe Biden is the president, he's our leader, and you'd, you'd be correct on paper, but I mean, everybody knows he's out of his mind. Employers can't find workers. I said, yeah, pay them more. So I would argue that 50 Republican senators is already a built-in kind of filibuster-esque firewall. Freedom is back in style. Welcome the revolution. Yeah, we're coming to your city. Gonna play our guitars and sing you a country song. Sean Hannity. The new, the new 
Sean Hannity Show. More behind-the-scenes information on breaking news and more bold, inspired solutions for America. Hello again. This is Jeffrey Lord sitting in for our friend Sean Hannity, who is down there, has been down there at the Texas border, uh, looking into all of the problems we have down there. Uh, as I said earlier, I wish that uh, Vice President Harris had uh, followed Sean's example, but uh, hope springs eternal. Don't really count on it. All right. Our next guest is someone known to me for <clears throat> a while. Uh, I, I think I met him when I was 25, and I'm only 26 now. Uh, this would be Charlie Giroux. He is the CEO of Quantum Communications, a Harrisburg-based public relations and public affairs firm. Uh, like myself, he is a, a former Reagan staffer, and he is now uh, running for governor of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And I can only tell you, after the disaster that has been uh, Governor Tom Wolf, boy, people are really hurting. I can't tell you how much time, you know, when I'm at home and I, I go into businesses or restaurants with friends and uh, talk to the owners and, and what they have been put through by the governor. It's just really been terrible. So with that, my friend Charlie, how are you? I'm great, Jeff, and I'm really thrilled to be running for governor. And you are entirely correct. The lockdowns and shutdowns and disasters of the past year under Tom Wolf have left the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania in a very bad place. And I would like, with your help, to lead us back and to make Pennsylvania great again. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know that you're getting out and about. I mean, Pennsylvania is not Vermont. It's a big state. So uh, tell, can you tell us a little bit about the kind of things you're hearing as you travel from one end of the state to the other? Yeah, you know, as I've been one of Tom Wolf's harshest critics in the media, Jeff, from day one. I didn't discover the fact that he's a leftist just in the past year or so. Uh, he had, from the very beginning of his administration, wanted to cripple our energy jobs, for example, by imposing additional taxes on natural gas. And in western Pennsylvania, that's something I hear all the time, including from organized labor folks, that Tom Wolf wanted to shut down our economy and take away our jobs, our energy jobs. That's a big issue for Pennsylvania. But so is the attack on every single taxpayer that he waged over the course of the past eight years, trying to dig his hand deeper and deeper into everybody's pocketbook. Tom Wolf holds the distinction of being the most liberal governor in America. That's a pretty tough title to take <laughs> yeah, up when say. you consider the competition. When you've got Cuomo and Newsom and Murphy and some of these others, that Tom Wolf is the most liberal governor in America. But his putative successor, the hands-on favorite to win the Democrat nomination, Josh Shapiro, who is currently the attorney general, would be worse than Tom Wolf. Yeah, he's a career, for people that don't know, he's a career politician. And uh, already there are stories, and Charlie, I know you've heard these, that uh, are being floated around, doubtless, by the Shapiro people, that uh, when, I put that in quotes, he wins, uh, he intends to be on the Democratic ticket uh, two years from now. And I, I thought to myself, what does, three years from now, I thought to myself, what does that mean? Is he saying that Joe Biden is, is not going to be well enough to run for a second <laughs> term? Kamala Harris is going to what? retire? Uh, I, I don't quite know what that means, but I, I sort of get the deal here that he, you know, he views the governorship of Pennsylvania as he has the attorney general's 
a say as a uh, a stop on the way to you know the moon or wherever the political moon and you know there's so much to do in Pennsylvania. Uh, you have seen these uh, uh, reopen rallies uh, in in Harrisburg. People really really upset. I remember uh, I went to one of them to talk with folks, and I remember a woman told me that um, she had a friend who very much wanted to come. But she had children at home that she had to take care of because of this, because the restaurant that she was in, where she was like the, the manager, had been shut down by the governor. And uh, another friend that we know uh, who runs a dry cleaning business. And uh, wow, talk about upset about what this has done to the dry cleaning business. So all the way across the board here, this has been pretty, pretty bad. And then, then when you add it into the discussion we were just having with Bruce Marks, about election integrity. I mean, Charlie, do you have confidence that uh, as the Republican nominee for governor of Pennsylvania in November of next year, that you'd get an honest vote? Jeff, one of the things that we have to do is to restore and return integrity to our elections, because if we don't trust the count, there really aren't any winners. And the Democrats love to talk about the quote-unquote big lie and you hear them in Pennsylvania chattering about it all the time. And they, I assume, are referring to the fact that some of the Trump supporters believe that the election was, quote-unquote, stolen. But the true big lie in Pennsylvania is that there were no irregularities and no uh, illegal activity in the last election, because the fact of the matter is there was, and it needs to get cleaned up, and we need to restore integrity to the center of our electoral process. And without that, we really do put a stain on our governmental system. We've got to be able to trust the elections. We've got to know that every vote that should be count or should be cast can be cast, and that every vote that's properly cast can be properly counted, which is another way of saying easy to vote, but difficult, if not impossible, to cheat. Right. One of the things I alluded to uh a little bit ago, I'd written it. I spent some time looking up the places in Pennsylvania that required ID. Um, one, of course, is the, as you know, a few, we used to have, uh, for those outside of Pennsylvania, we used to have a state store system where if you wanted to buy wine, for example, you had to go to the state store that was run by the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And that has changed in recent years uh, thanks to the legislature. So you can go to the grocery store and buy a bottle of wine. But to do so, and Charlie, you'll be amused at this, the first time I did that, um, I was surprised that the, the, the young woman behind the desk s- said I needed my ID. And I looked a little startled because I, I <clears throat> do not look like I'm under 18 anymore. And uh, I said, you're kidding? She says, yes, that's the law. That's the, you know, you've got to have it. Curiously, you don't have to have it in a state store, but you do have to produce it in the in the grocery store. Well, so you have to have a, a photo ID to buy booze. You have to have I, this was the one that really got me. You have to have a photo ID to get into the Pennsylvania State Capitol, um, and and you have to produce it every single time you do this. You can't just buy wine and then come back, you know, a week later and buy another bottle of wine. They're still going to ask for the ID. You don't get to say, oh, well, I did it the last time. 
And of course, if you go to Harrisburg International Airport to fly out, you got to produce a, a, a photo ID. And yet, uh, the governor and his people have been adamant in opposing this. I mean, this makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense, Jeff. And, you know, I say planes, trains, and automobiles. You can't get on an airplane. You cannot get on a train. You can't rent a car. And you can't do all the things that you mentioned, Jeff, without photo identification. I mean, it's required to be in society today that you have photo ID. And in Pennsylvania, we already have a photo ID requirement for first-time voters. So if you can have a photo ID to vote the first time, why can't you have one to vote subsequently? And the legislature has just made it easier to get a photo ID and really took off the table the argument that, well, certain folks can't get them and certain communities don't have access and blah, blah, blah. They took that all away. And Tom Wolf still vetoed the bill. Why the Democrats in Pennsylvania are afraid of photo identification to vote is beyond me. Yeah, well, I, I suspect it has, you know, going back to my conversation with Bruce Marx, I suspect it has a lot to do with the ability to, uh, you know, play uh, funny games with absentee ballots and things of that nature. If you can just have this stuff handed out and you don't need a photo ID, then that plays very conveniently into the hands of uh, Democratic machines around Pennsylvania. And it's just, you know, all, altogether ridiculous and, and not very good at that. Um, you know, one of the things I'm looking at, Charlie has uh, his uh, website. Um, what does it uh, say it for me there, Charlie? You're, you're... Charlie, <clears throat> charlieforgovernor.com, charlieforgovernor.com. And, and, you, and you, you put on there, or at least I've seen on some of your websites, the, uh, there's a picture of our old boss, Ronald Reagan, and a quote from him that says, The federal government has taken too much money from the people, too much authority from the states, and too much liberty from the Constitution, unquote. Well, bingo. That <laughs> pretty well says it, doesn't it, Jeff? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, uh, the real challenge I think you're going to face in, in uh, when you win, aside from giving me a tour of the governor's mansion, which I've never had a chance to see in all of my time in politics, um, is, is to restore integrity in the system and, and just stop this just ceaseless government spending here that is spending Pennsylvanians into oblivion here. I mean, this seems to be the, uh, the deal here with, with the American left. And I've, of, I've often said that the way it works is, particularly in, it works this way in Harrisburg and it works this way in Washington. A legislator or a congressman wakes up in the morning and, and his child is crying. He gets an idea. He goes to the legislature or the congressman, introduces a bill that is uh, headlined the Department of Crying Children. They pass the legislation. They build a 10-story building, stack it with employees earning 100 grand, and then lobbyists form outside to lobby for all the different things that could come crying children down. In other words, they have as many ideas as you can possibly imagine, for which the answer is always, let's build more government. And that's one of the things that I just in my practice, President Reagan had a hard time uh, slowing that down. So did President Trump. This is where you get into questions of the swamp and all that. So uh, you will have a real challenge on your hands. You've got to have the ability, as Ronald Reagan did, to say no. And the people of Pennsylvania 
don't believe that their lives are going to be a little bit better, Jeff, if their taxes are just a little bit higher. Uh, most people believe that when the family budget gets bigger and state government, federal government budgets get smaller, that they're better off for it. So we're going to look for ways to economize. We're going to look for ways to bring in accountability and look for ways to spend less and do more and allow people to keep more of what they earn and decide for themselves how those hard-earned dollars are spent. That was the Reagan that Ronald Reagan so that was the model that Ronald Reagan used. Uh, Larry Kudlow did it pretty well for Donald Trump. It works. It revives the economy. It creates opportunities. And it ultimately brings more prosperity to more people. Right. That's, that's exactly right. I've never understood the concept. Well, I, I do understand it now for sure. I mean, what this is about is taking taxpayers' money, particularly from the middle class, and handing it off to the favored um, special interest of the day. They're pals. And what do those pals then do? They turn around and give a portion of their money to the campaign funds of the people who have been so kind to give them uh, taxpayer money. And that, uh, boy, I'm not sure we can ever break that cycle, but we have to, you know, rein it in for sure, or we're going to have a real problem, both in Pennsylvania and nationally. And sadly, Jeff, that is the way it works. And I know that we have to break that cycle. And believe me, when I'm governor of Pennsylvania, we will do it. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I, I know, Charlie, uh, and, and you may have a sense of this, I mean, I've been out and about the state a little bit myself giving a talk, or I was at the Allegheny County Republican dinner the other week. They had about 1,000 people out there. Um, they and, all came to see you, Jeff. <laughs> you were there. You were there. They came <laughs> to see. They came to, they came to see Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who was a real a real hit. And I went to uh, an event sponsored by uh, my my friend Rose Tennant. Uh, she had a what they call a deplorables thing, and there was an event, and there were about three four hundred people there. What I picked up in both events, people are really enthused. They are they are determined to get to the polls and get their folks in. So we've got about uh, a handful of seconds left. Uh, any closing thought? Jeff, I know that uh, people across the country are looking at states like Pennsylvania, which are so pivotal to not only the country's future, but to the next presidential election. If Pennsylvania doesn't have a Republican governor, the integrity of that next election, in my judgment, is called into question. Exactly. So please, exactly. help me. You know, come to charlieforgovernor.com and uh, learn more about what we're doing because the race is on. All right, Charlie, my friend, thank you very much. And we will be right back to the Sean Hannity Show after this break. Exposing the Pelosi Party's chaos and corruption all day, every day. This, this is the Sean Hannity Show. This is Jeffrey Lord in for our friend Sean Hannity. And not to be forgotten is we would like you to dial in at 800-941-SEAN or in American English, 
numbers, mathematics, 800-941-7326. I bet you all knew that 7326 spelled Sean, didn't you? That was something I had to learn. All right. Thank you very much. Our next segment, uh, in a very shortly, we're going to have Congressman Louis Gohmert from Texas on. Uh, recall that he introduced a privileged resolution calling upon Congress to ban any political organization or party that has ever had a public position supportive of slavery or the Confederate States of America. Hmm, can you think of a party out there? I'll discuss with Congressman Gomert when we return. This is Jeffrey Lord from thejeffreylord.com and the Word of the Lord podcast. I'll be back in a minute. America. Glad to have you back on the Sean Hannity Show. We have a great segment coming up with the great Texas Congressman Louie Gohmert. Hello there, Congressman Gohmert. How are you? Well, Jeff, as far as I know, I'm okay. I'm exceedingly frustrated. Had a great day yesterday with uh, our friends, uh, the President Trump, that is, and uh, also Governor Abbott, we've been friends since he and I became uh, felony judges, district judges back at the same time. But it was uh, great yesterday afternoon, and 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 uh, Sean, of course, recorded his TV show down here. But I'm telling you, Jeff, um, two nights ago and then again last night, I have been so frustrated. Ever since I've been in Congress, I could come down here. I've spent a lot of time south here of McAllen, and I was so pleased when they were getting so much of the wall built down there. Uh, but I never, ever dreamed that the Biden administration would use the wall to prevent members of Congress from being able to get down to the border and see what they were doing. But I have run into that wall the last two nights. And after not before last, I did everything they said, and I, I emailed the person they put in writing, emailed this, we'll get your clearance, but you can't come tonight. And when I started to, they, they uh, zoomed three Border Patrol cars up so I could not get by. So anyway, uh, last night, same story. I could not get in, and... Uh, I just never dreamed. I mean, I know some of these Border Patrolmen. They know me. They know I've been down here a great deal. But they will not. I mean, I'm not only a member of Congress. I'm on the Judiciary Committee that has oversight of the Border Patrol. They have wow. to come testify to us about what's going on. You can't have proper oversight 
if you can't see what they're doing and they're exactly. hiding what they're doing and it's never happened. It didn't happen under the Bush administration, Obama administration, other than they wouldn't let me see the kids in cages. I wanted to see them. They wouldn't let, but they never, ever uh, impeded my getting to the border to see what they were doing there. So, Jeff, it's just outrageous. It's out of control. Let me say, I did see while I was waiting for so long the last two nights, Bus load after bus load, empty buses going in, full buses going out. Man, they were moving them out in droves. This is just disgraceful. Uh, I, I, I worked in Washington. I don't know if you remember Congressman Bud Schuster uh, from Pennsylvania. Of and and I, I worked for yeah, him yeah. And, uh, and for Senator John Hines on the Senate side. And if there's anything, anything that one should know is that you don't deny in a situation like this, you don't deny entrance to members of Congress who are duly elected by their constituents. And that goes double for any member of Congress who's from Texas. This is just <laughs> disgraceful, disgraceful but behavior. I'm on the oversight committee. We, we're the ones that oversee the Border Patrol. And you can't have oversight if you are hiding everything you're doing from the committee that has oversight over what you're doing. It is incredible. I, I, I'm still aghast. I'm going to go down there shortly and try again. But yeah. uh, it, it is incredible. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, Congressman, you've been involved in this uh, issue as well. And it sort of segues into yeah. this because we do think, you know, I mean, the Democratic Party, as I call them, is the party of race. And yep. um they built their entire political party. I mean, there's whole volumes out there about how um, slave owners created the Democratic Party and what they did uh, on and on and on and on with Jim Crow laws and all of this. You were one of the few people to stand up uh, on our side and take them head on. And this began when uh, Speaker Pelosi ostentatiously was running around the Capitol removing portraits and bust of uh, her predecessors who had been members of the Confederacy. What she never seemed to say was that they were also Democrats. And you Every one uh, of them. very astutely uh, introduced a privilege resolution. So I just thought maybe we should go over this again and have you talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, and I'm really grateful you wanted to, to discuss this because it is something, you know, some Republicans and especially some of our leaders in the past, they would say, we can't talk about it. We can't touch it. We don't want to be called racist. We're not racist. Right. They're the racist. And the quicker we can stand up together, unified against what they're doing, the better off we'd be. So my amendment, it basically tracks a bill that I filed that you mentioned before Look, you want to remove the uh, these particular statutes, every one of which is is a Democrat. Well, I'll see that and I'll raise you. Let's <laughs> remove, and this is what my amendment to their bill removing Taney. It would uh, remove any statue or any portrait in the Capitol. Uh, of someone who belonged to an organization or party that supported <laughs> slavery. And, uh, it, and for example, uh, the Democratic Party platform of 1840, 1844, 1848, 52, 1856, they were all very supportive of slavery. Yes, they were. They were big 
on the fugitive slave law of 1850, pushing that, that penalized any official that did not arrest an alleged runaway slave. And all it took is somebody saying, I own this person, and that was good enough to take them in custody as a fugitive slave. It was uh, just atrocious, the stuff that was going on. And there was only one party that supported that, and that was the Democratic Party. So, yeah, we want to start removing these. Fine, let's go all the way. Let's remove every mention of a party that supported slavery and the Confederacy. Let's go all out. And once you uh, once you did this, other, Congressman, curiously, they seem to move on. <laughs> well, well, I mean, let's don't be hypocrites, Democrats. Right. Let's go ahead and remove every one of them. But, but you know, I've heard you enough. I know you know, to ever get to a Marxist state, you have to destroy a country's history and convince them, like Orwell talked about, that what's true is not true, and you rewrite the truth. You can't have statues that, upon inquiry, people would find out, oh, that was a Democrat. He was a racist and a Democrat. You've got to remove all of that so that uh, people don't realize that the Democratic Party has traditionally been and still is the anti well, I I have uh, you know I've, I've written extensively on this, and one of the things that I say is that they moved from slavery to segregation, and the son of segregation today is identity politics, in which we're yeah. all supposed to be divided up by race and and judged by skin color. They don't want to treat people as individuals, um, as Dr. King said, judged by the content of their character uh, and not by the color of their skin. Um, that works That's against right. their political interest, and that is a real problem. Yeah, but it was my dream. I, you know, some people say, you know, well, um, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. did not help me because I'm white. No, no, he made it so that a little white boy like me growing up as and a Christian, I was free to treat people as brothers and sisters, he did that for me, Martin Luther yes. King. Yes, and and so he he did a great thing for Christians of all colors. Yeah, we treat anybody like they're brothers and sisters, and that's exactly what he was—an ordained Christian minister. And I think he would be appalled, and I know his niece has talked about that to see people wanting to judge people by the color of their skin, uh, but. Anyway, we, have, we, we can't let the Democrats completely destroy our history. Uh, that's the way you go if you're looking toward a Marxist revolution. And that, that uh, as I know you know this, in the Stalin era, I always find this amusing because the technology was not as good as it is now when we have Photoshopping mm-hmm. and all this. But they would have these pictures of Stalin with these various Soviet communist figures around him and then one of them would would fall out of favor and the photo would be re-released and the person who fell out of favor up suddenly isn't there (laughs) no yeah how does that happen of course well that's what happens in a marxist society but i was there in the 70s as an exchange student for the summer 
And, uh, you know, I, I would ask people, uh, the Russians and Ukrainians, uh, what do you think about Trotsky, who? Now, <laughs> right. I was shocked. I mean, without Trotsky, Lenin doesn't succeed. I mean, it was just a little fledgling effort that Lenin had going, and the military was about to come across the river there at St. Petersburg and destroy their little revolution. It wasn't even getting off the ground well. And Trotsky gets on top of a car, reportedly, and I wish we had video from that. He persuades the military not only not to go across the river and put down the revolution, but to join in. And so without Trotsky, I mean, it it was over before it really got started. And yet Stalin completely wrote Trotsky out of the history books. But I was surprised uh, meeting some Ukrainian college students and getting to know them. They would say, well, tell us who Trotsky was. What did he really do? Because we know there's something there about him, but we can't find out anything about him. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting, but that's where it goes. You don't get to know your history. Well, and that's that's the problem, is that, that uh, kids today are not – I mean, this whole business with uh, the uh, – what do they call it? CRT uh, – Teaching, uh, yeah. teaching kids that yep. we're all growing up in a racist society and everybody's uh, the oppressed or the oppressors, uh, critical race theory. Uh, I mean, this is this is right out of Marx. There's just no there's yep, no question about it. And the idea well, that the, they would the, run the, around the, doing this is is bad stuff. Yeah. yeah well, uh, there was a uh, writer that was in jail in Italy uh, in the forties or fifties, but. Uh, he realized, uh-oh, the, 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 the revolution is not going to happen because America has this middle class and it's growing in Europe. So we're not going to have the workers arise against the bourgeois. Uh, the way we'll have to have a revolution is to promote class. Yes. And that's what they're doing with critical race theory. There are these different classes and and. You know, you are born the way you are, and there's nothing you can do about it. You're either an oppressor or oppressed. Doesn't matter what you yourself have done. It is it is the antithesis of what Dr. King was preaching so powerfully. I yeah. wish he were around. Yeah, I I do too. I, you know, the first time I heard this, I was on a CNN show, and uh, someone was there. Who was who was African American and railing against everything you just said? And I thought, good lord, they're saying all this stuff. If, if Dr. King were here, he'd he'd uh, he would just be astonished to to be hearing this kind of thing. I mean, this is this is really really bad stuff. Now, I will say, I do think that you know, with with what you've been doing, with what you've been doing, and what uh, others, particularly uh, people like Dr. Carson and Dr. Ben Carson and uh, Justice Thomas. Uh, I always like Justice Thomas. He's got he's made a film out, and he said they wanted a liberal justice to replace Thurgood Marshall. I was nominated, and they said, "No, you're the wrong black guy. <laughs> you can't make this oh, stuff up." Isn't that something, Congressman? We got to uh, we got to scoot out of here for a break. But thank you very much. It is great to talk to you, and uh, stick by that border. We're going back just after I hang up. All right, good for you. Thank you.
Okay, we are now going to go to break here. This is the Sean Hannity Show, and we will be right back after this commercial. Thank you. Bad for America. CBS TV, and it's the news like nobody else. This is the Sean Hannity Show. Welcome back. This is Jeffrey Lord in for Sean Hannity, and we are about to have a treat. We are going to be guested with the appearance of Leo Terrell, a.k.a. as he's known in Hannity circles as Leo 2.0. I just so enjoy watching Leo on television. Uh, I debated him once and lost. Um, So I am particularly pleased that uh, we are going to be here and have a chance to talk again. Uh, he is just great. You know, uh, he's a Fox News contributor, a civil rights attorney, and uh, he has much to say on a lot of issues that is just common sense. I want to talk to him a little bit about uh, the Trump Organization lawsuit and uh, some of the other legal problems and the weaponization of the law. So we will be doing that uh, very shortly as we come in uh, around the corner from the next break. Um, all I can say is, you know, listening to, to uh, Congressman Gomer, w- what a terrible thing that members of the United States Congress are not allowed to visit the border and see what they need to see. Uh, all right, we're going to move on to break, and we'll be back. Yeah. I mean, you could say Joe Biden is the president, he's our leader, and you'd, you'd be correct on paper, but, I mean, everybody knows he's out of his mind. Employers can't find workers. I said, yeah, pay them more. So I would argue that 50 Republican senators is already a built-in kind of filibuster-esque firewall. Freedom is back in style. Welcome to the revolution. Yeah, we're coming to your city. information on breaking news and more bold inspired solutions for america all right welcome back to the last hour of the sean hannity show i am jeffrey lord sitting in for our friend sean the jeffrey lord of the jeffrey twitter at real jeffrey lord the jeffrey lord on facebook and yes the word of the lord podcast 
I am so pleased to be introducing you to our next guest, Leo Terrell, the great Leo 2.0. How are you, my my old debate partner? I don't know if you remember this, but we were paired once on a Laura Ingram show in the long ago and far away. I was deeply impressed. Well, Jeffrey, you know, first of all, I'm impressed with you because I remember you battling with those crazy <laughs> liberals on CNN for a long time. So I'm a great fan of yours. When I learned that I had the opportunity to uh, join you today on Hannity's show, I, I jumped at the chance, and it is my pleasure, and thank you for having me. Well, thank you. But, you know, Leo, I, I really thought it would be great to have you on, and Linda thought the same thing. We're watching this news story today of uh, the indictment of somebody from the Trump organization, and it just seems to me uh, that what we're really watching here is the politicization and weaponization of the law to be used against political enemies. I'm not a lawyer. You are. What are your thoughts on all of this? No, you summed it up. I'll tell you right now. Uh, you look at the, uh, first of all, this total hatred towards Donald Trump by the Democratic Party, by the media, and by the district attorney's office in New York. And it was a, a done deal. They were out to try to get Trump. They, 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 they took all this time to get his tax records. They tried to brand him as a criminal. And the anticipation that there was going to be this great, great series of indictments. I'll tell you right now, uh, they didn't get what they wanted. They, 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 they did not get right. what they wanted. And when you look at what you see here with the charges, it is nothing more than politics. And I'll be very clear in my opinion, Jeff, and I don't make no bones about it. I'm a big Trump supporter. I honestly believe that the Democrats and the left-wing media will try to do anything to try to sidetrack, derail, prevent Donald J. Trump from running in 2024, and it's impossible. He's going to run, and they are worry-scared. I have never seen anything like this in, in my memory. And, you know, a number of years ago, uh, I sort of stumbled into this. This was long before Donald Trump was president. And I was taken with the notion that the then Attorney General of New York, a Democrat named Eric Schneiderman, was uh, going after uh, Donald Trump and the Trump Organization. And I thought, well, that's very curious. Well, I investigated. And lo and behold, it turned out that he had been coming to Donald Trump himself, to members of his family, his staff, for campaign contributions, Leo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and felt that he had not been getting as deserved, and at one point even said, uh, as I recall the tale, even said to somebody connected to the Trumps that, uh, well, there are people in his office and, and he'll try and deal with it and, and don't worry and all this. And then this was followed again by another request. So I wrote a column, Leo, calling him Shakedown Schneiderman. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and I checked at some point with, with Donald Trump himself, and sure enough, uh, this was primarily what this was about. And, that, and then you see uh, his, one of his successors here as Attorney General of New York, Letitia James, campaigning, as yes. I recall, on, yes. on going after Donald Trump. I mean, what is the matter with these people? Do they not understand that they are absolutely doing devastating stuff to the uh, understanding that most people have? that would like to have, that the law is impartial. Well, they destroyed that notion, and, and you have said it correctly. They weaponized it. And uh, the Attorney General of New York, uh, she campaigned on going after Donald Trump. And I understand she was there today uh, standing next to, uh, to uh, Vance. 
regarding uh, these charges. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an attack to derail Trump. Uh, it's very, very unsuccessful because it's not what they wanted or not what they they want Donald Trump to be charged with some form of crime. It did not happen. But back to your basic point, it is the politicization of the district attorney, the legal justice system. And that's a system that's supposed to be above the law, pure from politics. They have destroyed that notion. Yes, they have. And, and I've looked into the district attorney, too. He, Wow, I can only imagine what his father would think. His, his oh, yeah. namesake father was is Cyrus Vance, who was uh, had sure. a very distinguished Secretary of State. Secretary of State. Uh, he was, a, I think, a deputy secretary of defense in for John F. Kennedy in the long ago and far away, and I think Secretary of the Army. I mean, he is just a world away reputation-wise from the reputation that his son is creating for himself in doing all this. And that, that is, you know, just sort of astonishing to me. But I, I sometimes wonder the close connection between the Democratic Party and various legal groups out there, whether this hasn't been coming for some time. And I, I frankly, Leo, I, I, I admire you when you're on, uh, on television and free to talk like this, because I think, you know, there's got to be somebody out there that's thinking, you know, well, what happened with uh, Leo Terrell in 1959? You know, this kind of yeah. thing. I just think this is bad stuff. It, 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 you know, when you look at the facts, the Democrats don't have them. When you look at the facts, the left-wing media does not have them. They, 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 they try to play the emotional, passionate game. And I'll tell you right now, I just got fed up with it. I got fed up with it because when you cut a, when you eliminate all the accusations, you look at the facts and you see a man who did, in my opinion, a fantastic job in the four years he was in the White House. Yes. And they disliked it. They did not like it. And he went around them, Jeffrey. He went around the left-wing media. He, he went directly to the people. And I'll tell you right now, the 75 million people who supported for Donald Trump, they are strong, they're solid, and, and I'm sure this is bad news for the uh, Democrats and the lefties. They're loyal. Yes. I, I mean, Leo, I can't tell you how many, I've been. I don't know, maybe five, six, seven Trump rallies. And, you know, because I'm a, you know what this is like, you're on TV and you're recognized. And uh, people talk to me all the time. And boy, are they loyal. And, and, and mm-hmm. in particular, and I, I find some uh, tie in this to my old boss, Ronald Reagan, uh, who was dismissed routinely by establishment Republicans and Democrats yes, as, you know, yeah. he was this, he was that, et cetera, et cetera. Man, were the American people and Republicans in particular loyal to Ronald Reagan. They loved him. And that's what I see when I, I, I watched that, I didn't go to it, but I watched the Trump rally in, in Ohio the other night. And it just seems to me that a lot of these folks feel, and I think correctly, that the establishment sort of writ large elites, if you will, really believe they've got uh, a God-given right to run the country and all of its institutions. And it doesn't matter whether it's the law, whether it's journalism, whether it's sports. I, I mean, you you name it, that things have to be done their way. And if you don't do it, they're coming for you. You are you and I are on the same channel. They're, they're, that's what they're, they're called the elitists. And yes. it's regardless of the party, they're the elitists. And what they found, Donald Trump, they found him as someone, as an outsider, who went directly to the people. And I'll tell you, Jeff, you cannot fool the people. The people resonate with Donald Trump. And I'll tell you right now, I have to be the classic example. I saw a guy like Joe Biden who basically demanded that 
if you don't vote for him, you're not black. I saw a party that totally left the, uh, just abandoned the concept of supporting the police. I said, where am I? And I look over, I see a man <laughs> who supports law enforcement, a man who does not look at color, uh, created the First Step Act, lowest unemployment, funded historical black colleges, uh, want law and order, and want school choice. Exactly. Those are fundamental issues that every American would, would, would treasure, would want to have. Liberty, freedom. Instead, the Democrats want to, to control your life. They want you to, to be dependent on government. I mean, this is a very easy choice. I sleep well at night, Jeff. I sleep very well. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, uh, wow. I, I mean, they, they are after us in so many so many, many ways here, and it's and it's institutional, and uh, they are they are determined to break the bond, and they they can't do it. You know, Rush Limbaugh used to used to say that a lot of candidates were created by the media, and so the media yeah. that created them could destroy them. But he said the media didn't create Donald Trump. Absolutely, uh, the, the American people uh, wanted Donald Trump, and and that's. You know that's why he was elected president in the first place, and I think that's. I think you're right. I think that's why he's going to. Uh, he's going to come back. Um, hey, you're right, and that's why this this, this uh, breaking news on the left wing media about the Trump organization fell way up, well well short of what they were hoping for. Yeah, let me let me just switch topics generally, although stay within the law, because I honestly don't, uh, not being a lawyer, I don't really understand all of this. What did you think about the Bill Cosby situation? Well, I'll tell you right now, I, I follow that case, uh, the first trial, the second trial, and the current reversal by the state Supreme Court. Let me just be as clear as possible. Uh, personal opinion, uh, I think Bill Cosby is a sexual predator. Legally, and the ruling by the state Supreme Court was absolutely correct. Wow. Absolutely correct. And I can say that without any hesitation, because I said it two years ago. Two major reasons, Jeff. One, uh, the, the state Supreme Court, and I said this a couple of years ago, he had a deal with the district attorney that there would be no prosecution, and he relied on that. And that's a due process issue. And in exchange for that deal, he went ahead and gave testimony that basically incriminated him. Like him or not, he had a deal, and he did not expect to be facing criminal charges. But more importantly, the, the, the second major uh, flaw in the case, which should never have been charged, is that the trial judge, after getting a hung jury in the first trial, allowed five witnesses to testify about their experiences with Bill Cosby that were anywhere between 20 to 30 years old. That's what you call prior bad acts. And basically, it allowed the jury to make a leap in logic and say, well, if this happened, he must have committed this crime. You, can't, you cannot accuse or allow that type of prejudicial evidence into a courtroom when it has nothing to do with the case before the jury. And you have no ability to challenge the credibility of these witnesses. So I thought the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania was correct legally, notwithstanding my personal opinion, yeah. because he basically stated uh, he, he committed some of these acts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly that was my impression. And, you know, Leo, one of the things I've observed, and I'm sure you've seen a version of this as well, is that people who are in the spotlight, they could be entertainment, politics, whatever, um, can get carried away. And precisely because they think, oh, well, you know, I'm so well known that that makes them uh, what? It's a power position when it sure. comes to this kind of thing. And 
and particularly in Bill Cosby's day when he was, you know, much younger, boy, nobody was speaking out about this kind of thing. And I think that was what what brought him low. He kept thinking, I'm Bill Cosby and I can get away with this. You are absolutely correct. I mean, he was in a powerful position. He had power of influence. He had the financial wealth, the, the resources to basically annihilate, destroy anyone who would challenge him. And I, I, don't, I don't regret, or let me rephrase that, I don't blame women who did not want to challenge him uh, right. at the time that it happened. But when it did happen, and they came out, which they're entitled to do, I think the legal system worked properly in the end results by letting him, uh, by, by, re, by basically vacating the conviction. I think that it tells you that our legal system may, let, may have let a criminal get away, but the due process, the fundamental issues of our Constitution, the right against self-incrimination, those are high standards that we have to uphold, and I think that wasn't upheld uh, when he was initially charged. You know, one of the ironies here I'm thinking is is there is the legal system not functioning well in the Trump case, but it did function well in the Cosby case. And that, <laughs> under, yeah, isn't that, under the circumstances, that's pretty amazing. And you know what? That point is so important because justice is supposed to be blind. I guarantee you uh, it wasn't blind in New York. They went after Trump because his name was Trump. And that's where, as you said earlier, they weaponize the legal system. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Leo, I can't tell you what a joy it is to finally get to Jeff, talk to you. Jeff, we got to do this more. We got to do this often. Yeah, you're right, my friend. You're right. Yeah, well, so you. go to it, Leo 2.0. <laughs> I just <laughs> love you, it. Sir. All right. Thanks very much. This is the Sean Hannity Show. We are uh, going to be fading to break here very shortly. Uh, I am Jeffrey Lord of thejeffreylord.com and uh, the Word of the Lord podcast. And I hope to see you back right after the break. Entertaining Americans coast to coast. Sean Hannity is on right now. Everybody, this is Jeff Lord, and we are coming down to the last half hour or so of the Sean Hannity Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, let me just say of our next guest, uh, who will come back after the uh, commercial break, this will be Jeff Bardos. Uh, he's a successful businessman from Pennsylvania, and he is a Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate. Um, I, I just, I don't think I can emphasize enough how important it is for Republicans to regain control of the Senate and, of course, to pick up that gavel from Nancy Pelosi. Um, this, is, this is a big deal. I mean, we're dealing with people on the other side who fundamentally want to change America and uh, make this not the place it was supposed to be, where there's nationalized elections and uh, federal people are deciding what used to be state decisions and local decisions. And, you know, if you, the most important thing is get involved in local politics first. All right. This is Jeff Lord. We will be right back with Jeff Bardos.
Exposing left-wing media bias. No stone left unturned. The Sean Hannity Show is back on the air. Hello, America. This is Jeffrey Lord again in the last half hour of the Sean Hannity Show. We hope that you will dial in at 800-941-SEAN or... 800-941-7326. And as I say, I bet you never knew that 7326 spelled Sean. And I bet he's glad his parents didn't name him 7326. All right. We will now move on to uh, Jeff Bardos, who is a Pennsylvanian. He is a Republican candidate for the United States Senate. Uh, he's a small businessman. And uh, Jeff, we're glad you're here. Um, glad to talk to you. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you're running? Well, Jeffrey, great to hear your voice. Thank you so much for having me on the air. And, uh, of course, good afternoon to all your listeners. Uh, so uh, as, you, uh, as you mentioned, I'm a small business owner, originally from Berks County uh, in the central part of Pennsylvania. Cheryl and I have lived in the southeastern part of the state for the last 25 years, raising our two girls. Cheryl's from Lehigh County. Uh, when the pandemic struck a little more than a year ago, uh, and we saw a complete failure of the government to watch out for the Main Street Pennsylvanians, watch out for the small shop owners and the small business owners across all 67 counties. I leapt into action. I started a nonprofit. Uh, that not that very modest uh, goal of helping as many small businesses in our community survive the shutdown, which we thought would be 30 days at the most. We were quite wrong about that. Uh, thank you, Tom Wolf. Uh, but that modest effort to help small businesses in our community blossomed into a statewide effort that I led uh, that has raised now over $3.5 million and helped over 1,050 small business owners, women and men, keep the lights on uh, and save thousands and thousands of jobs for working families. And so when Senator Toomey announced he was not running again, um, I looked at all the work we had done to save Main Street, uh, and I looked at the work I have been doing for the last five years uh, to, to bring more competitiveness to Pennsylvania and to help uh, the working families across Pennsylvania, who, frankly, Jeff, let's call it what it is. They just get screwed year in and year out by career politicians and by the elites. Uh, I knew that I had to take the fight I had been leading for the last year uh, to the United States Senate campaign and, and ultimately to the United States Senate. Yeah, I think you're right, Jeff. And, and I, I have to tell you, just going walking around Pennsylvania where I live and talking to people, you have no idea, well, I bet you do, how many small business people have told me about the excruciating difficulties uh, that this has brought to them. I was having a conversation with a friend who runs the, my local dry cleaner, and uh, you know it's been exceedingly difficult. And the, this uh, a couple of weekends ago, we were both at the Pennsylvania Leadership Conference, and you gave a great uh, uh, conversation about some of the kinds of people that you had talked to and what their reaction was. Can you relate a couple of those? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, we hear politician after politician talk about how small businesses are the backbone of our community, but how many of them have ever sweated a payroll? How many of them have ever worried about a, an employee's family and an illness in their family and making sure that that family and that, that lifelong employee are going to be okay? Keeping the lights on, uh, paying the rent, uh, taking care of uh, your part of the street and making sure that your fellow shopkeepers on that street are okay. I mean, these are remarkable women and men that I've had the privilege to speak with over the last year. I think, you know, Jeff, there's one, one, one business owner. I mean, I've had 600-plus phone conversations wow. and person meetings over the last, last year-plus with women and men across all 67 counties. But one stands out to me that, that I shared at the PLC was uh, the, the coffee shop owner in Lancaster County, who, when I called her in February 
with the good news that we had a grant for her and her employees and her business, she said, Jeff, I have a confession to make. And I said, well, I'm, I'm no longer a practicing lawyer and I'm not, a, I've never been a priest. So uh, let's, <laughs> let's do no confessions. And she, she said, no, no, I want to tell you something. I said, please, no. And then she said, I broke the law. And I said, look, really, this is not, this is not, this is not why I'm calling. But she said, I want to tell you what I did. Should I listen to every stupid order that came down from Rachel Levine and Tom Wolf? Ten uh, percent capacity, fifty percent capacity, eighty percent capacity. You, know, you can serve you can serve almond drink, but not real milk with your coffee before two p.m. I mean, all these crazy rules that these folks had to abide by. She said, "I listened to every dumb rule until December." And in December, when the governor told me and all my fellow shopkeepers that we had to shut down around Christmas time, I told my employees that I would rather go to jail. I would uh-huh. rather be fined. I would rather be shut down than to lay off working moms at Christmas time and, and, and almost all but ensure that they and their children would not have uh, a Christmas. And to think about the courage and also think about the humanity of a woman who had always followed the rules uh, and running her small business in Lancaster County to be brought basically to break the law, to, well, if we call it wow. the law, break the dictate, dictate of the governor to protect her employees. Um, by the way, I think that is quintessentially Pennsylvania. Uh, you can imagine this same lady uh, in 1775 and 1776 in Philadelphia uh, le- leading similar thoughts. So, yes, yeah, I, th- yes. But that, Jeff, I have hundreds of stories like that. I bet you do. I bet you do. You know, sort of p- pulling away a bit into other issues in the Senate. What What do you see? Uh, else out there, uh, whether foreign policy, domestic policy, et cetera, that you want to talk about or you are talking about as you move around the state? Well, the Democrats are making no bones about what their goal are, is, is what their goals are. Remember, Chuck Schumer, in the aftermath of the November election, but before the Georgia special election, was uh, a- after President Biden had been declared the winner, he's smiling and gloating there in New York on a sunny day, and he said, first we change Georgia, then we change America. And they have not hidden what their agenda is. They want that vote. They want this Republican seat to flip Democrat in Pennsylvania. They want that so-called 51st vote to abolish the filibuster. And when they do that, Jeff, they're going to do exactly what they've said. They're coming for all of the dear things, the whole things that we hold dear, all of our liberties, all of our rights, all of our freedoms. This is elitism run amok. And they are going to install the Green New Deal, which would bankrupt dozens and dozens of communities around Pennsylvania and tens of thousands of families that, that rely on energy. They're going to pack the Supreme Court. They're going to have D.C. statehood. They're going to have Puerto Rican statehood. It will be a grab bag of 60 years of, of, of liberal dreams, leftist dreams, brought to bear. And so, not to put too fine a point on it, but this Senate seat in Pennsylvania could very well be the deciding vote uh, to decide who controls the Senate after the 2022 election. And that is why we are working seven days a week, 16 hours a day to raise funds and to be everywhere across the Commonwealth to make sure that we win. Right, right. I mean, your thought, I mean, I I suspect I know it, but career politicians. I mean, you know, when I was younger uh, and President Kennedy, you know, (laughs) the inaugural address, which I vividly remember, I was in the fourth or fifth grade. You know, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And that unleashed a whole wave of energy with young people. And I freely admit I was one of them. And, you know, to get into politics, to get into government. What I finally learned by the time I was working for Ronald Reagan is that you've got to do other things than just politics. If all that's if that's all you're going to do, you're not going to have a sense of what makes the country run. 
And pretty soon you fall into the routine that the country can't run unless I get reelected again for my 16th zillion term. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, you are the classic small businessman. I mean, everything about you <laughs> says this is exactly the kind of person and mindset that we should have in the United States Senate. Just give me your sort of thoughts on these folks and that sort yeah, of philosophy. It is so well said, and thank you. Uh, I mean, the day I launched my campaign, I signed a term limit pledge uh, to serve wow. no more than two terms in the United States. Senate. The day we launched the campaign, it was that important. Before I did any interviews, before we made any call, major calls, I, I signed that pledge and, and sent in the term limits USA. So that's, it's, that's sort of the core of what I believe. Uh, let's put it this way. If we had more business people, more business women and businessmen in elected office at all levels of government, we would have a lot more common sense and a lot less, let's call it what it is, stupidity, right? In yeah. what world does it make sense? In what world does it make sense as a policymaker to say that Walmart can be open and the small business on the corner has to be shut? The mom and pop has to be shut. Yes. Right? What, what world does that make sense, right? It only makes sense to a bureaucrat. I don't know if you've heard this story, Jeff. You know, on the day that the governor, that governor Wolf announced his, uh, his shutdowns for all non-life-sustaining businesses, as he, as he said at the time, uh, a friend of mine called into the governor's office and said, my constituents you shut down laundromats. How are my constituents supposed to wash their clothing? And the governor's offices, I'm not going to say the governor, but it was the staffer's response was, well, only, only college students use laundromats. Oh, my now, God. Now, think, I mean, <laughs> I, I, and every time I say that on the campaign trail, I always pause and say, somewhere Marie Antoinette is smiling. Because yes. only in a world of career politicians and elites who, who think that they know better than, than the people who, who make it happen every day only in their world does this make sense. Um, columnist wrote about this in December, Jeff. She wrote, in, in talking about the disconnect between the elites and Main Street, she talked about how it's so bad now, because as your point, that, that many of these people, these career politicians, these elites, they, they have no sense of what happens on Main Street in any community. And so they fail to recognize or even care, as she wrote, that the, the shuttering of a store is quite literally the death of a dream. And yes. it, this whole Senate campaign that I'm running is about is about saving Main Street, Pennsylvania, and empowering uh, women and men, uh, working families across Pennsylvania to to live their lives and to raise their families. Jeff, the one thing that stood out over the last year, probably more than anything in my conversations, is small business owners wanted nothing from the government except a level playing field. Right. That's all they asked for. That's all they asked for. They wanted nothing else. Just let me live my life, protect my family take care of my employees and customers, and run my business the way that I know how to. <laughs> I've That's got, America, right? I've, I've, got America. Cl- I've got to close this out, Jeff, because we're, we're going to have a break. But I, I just want to end on one thought of, exactly about that, that I just heard, we all just heard from President Obama, or President Obama, President Biden the other day, when they Same were talking thing. about people not, not returning to work and everything, and he says in that whisper, pay them more. And I'm thinking, you have absolutely no idea ever in your life, of what it's like to run a small business. None. <laughs> Joe Biden was elected to the United States Senate the year I was born. He has been in elected <laughs> office at some level since before I was born. And exactly. I am 48, Jeff. So what the heck, no, I mean, what the heck does he know about running a store? Exactly. What, what does he know? Nothing. Zero. Nothing. Well, clearly you do, oh. Jeff, and we wish you nothing but the best of luck here. And uh, thanks very much. Is the website there you want to give out? 
Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it's jeffbartos.com, J-E-F-F-B-A-R-T-O-S.com. And Jeff, I want to wish you and your family and all of your listeners a joyful and very happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day to everybody. Thank you and amen. That was Jeff Bartos, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we are going to be back very shortly taking phone calls at 800-941-SEAN. Straight from the source, Sean Sean Hannity talks to the people involved in the top news stories. Sean Hannity. This is Jeffrey Lord sitting in for Sean Hannity, Jeffrey Lord of JeffreyLord.com and the Word of the Lord podcast. Let's go to line two and Greg in Ohio. Greg, are you there? Yes. How are you today? I'm great. And you? Good. Thank you for the opportunity. Earlier, you, you, you were talking, you shared the story about your father and right. Alzheimer's. And my dad, same thing. Um, God bless about you. A year before he retired, I noticed his personality changing. You know, he was irritable and kind of distant, and didn't want to do house projects like he normally did, and no longer the life of the party that he always was. And and uh, so he got to retire at fifty-five, full retirement. So he wasn't old, you know. Wow. And um, so I saw it, and. I lived it just like you did, and I know that I know that Joe Biden's family knows it. I know that his colleagues know it. I know that his wife and family, everybody knows it. I mean, it's impossible to ignore, and I think it's sad, and I think it's cruel and disrespectful to the man, and um, I just can't imagine what they're putting him through propping him up day by day. Yeah, I I, fr- yeah. I frankly don't think that uh, they should ever have let him run in the first place. Uh, seeing this, I mean, they had to have seen this. Uh, you know, and I was startled, and Sean often mentions this, the Joe Biden that departed the vice presidency in uh, at the end of the Obama term is not the Joe Biden that returned to the public trail when he ran for president. Uh, he just isn't. And I certainly remember him as a younger senator. I mean, whatever else you want to say about him, uh, philosophically speaking, he, he was quick on the draw, uh, very, very alert. And it's just, it is sad to see this. But I, I would just think, uh, Craig, th- this is not good for the country here. It's not, it's not good for Joe Biden, and it's not good for the country. No. I think it's cruel what they're doing. Um, I... And to tell you how bad the media is and and editing so much, I was out with a friend of mine a couple weeks ago having a beer, and I know never to talk politics with her because she's a diehard Democrat. But I had made a comment that I felt sorry for Joe. She goes, what do you mean? And I said, I said, he's sick. I know he has Alzheimer's. I said it two years ago. I can smell it from a mile away. I know he's sick. Right. Greg, I I hate to to cut you off, but we are— We are about to uh, disappear from the air here. So thank you very much for 
for all you did for your dad, and thank you. So that's about it for the Sean Hannity Show. Let me give a shout-out to Cousin Steve Acklick for his birthday today on July 1st. He probably wasn't expecting that. And uh, Sean will be back here in the saddle next week. Happy Fourth of July to all of America. And uh, on we go. Thank you so much. This is Jeffrey Lord of JeffreyLord.com signing off.